Hello, and welcome to a VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we will be discussing acute lymphoblastic leukemia updates from this year's virtual EHA meeting, including an understanding of the importance of the gut microbiome in ALL development, data from the use of inotizumab osgomycin, and key updates from the forum study. First up, Carolina Vincente Duenas of the Institute of Biomedical Research of Salamanca, IBSAL, discusses the role of the gut microbiome in protecting genetically predisposed mice against leukemia. What we have seen is that, uh, well, uh, focus on, on, on the main study, we are interested in understanding how childhood uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia take place. This type of leukemia is the most common one in, in childhood. And uh, it has been proposed that um, for the development of this disease, it is necessary uh, two events. So it's a two-hit model. In the first hit, we need a genetic predisposition that normally it's acquired in utero, or maybe it's a genetic predisposition that is uh, hereditary. Okay, and we need a second event that fully transforms these uh, pre-leukemic carriers to, to the one that will really develop the leukemia. And uh, using mice models, we have seen that there are some environmental factors that, for example, infections, then can um, trigger the development of the disease in pre-leukemic carriers with a genetic predisposition, okay? So infections is, are playing a critical role in this process. We have seen it using mice, predisposed mice. And as the gut microbiome have a very important role in integrating different environmental factors and regulating the immune system, we thought that maybe the gut microbiome uh, is functioning as a sensor that can integrate environmental factors like infections and modulate um, the development of the disease by priming the immune system or by um, promoting the development of the uh, accumulation of preleukemic uh, cells. So this is the, the, uh, the aim we, we, we wanted to study the role of the gut microbiome in this, in this disease. So uh, what we have found is that predisposed carriers that have a genetic predisposition have a different gut microbiome than the ones that will not develop the disease. And even more, we have seen that if we remove the gut microbiome, that this could be easily done by the treatment of, of the mice with uh, antibiotics. Antibiotics would remove all the uh, microbiome for a a specific period of, of time, and then the microbiome is recovered. We have seen that this de depletion, that this uh, alteration of the microbiome for a period of, of time increased the incidence of the disease uh, dramatically. And even we don't need the, the exposure infection to develop the disease. So this microbiome uh, seems to be playing a very critical role in the development of the disease. So this is more or less the more <laughs> important uh, uh, things that we have found in this, in this uh, project. And what also, also it is also very important is that we can also um, predict um, the genotype 
of the mice based on the gut microbiome. So we can analyze the gut microbiome of different mice and we can know which one have a genetic predisposition to develop the disease and which not, just based on the gut microbiome. And uh, what's even more interesting is that we can also follow up all the, de the development of the disease in these mice. So we can predict which one will develop the disease and which one not, just based on the guide microbiome in some uh, time points. All these results have been done in mice, predisposed mice. But um, it, is, it is important to point out that these mice develop human disease very well. So they reproduce genetically, phenotypically, phenotypically childhood leukemia, uh, and it's, it's a very good model. But um, obviously, we have to, uh, to validate this, these results in, in humans. Doing this in humans is quite difficult because, you know, uh, the, the incidence of the disease sometimes is not um, uh, easy to, to deal with numbers in this kind of studies. But um, what is true is that the disease is very similar to humans, so it's a good model. So we have learned that predisposed mice have different microbiome. So we now have to validate if predisposed humans also have different guide microbiome. And we have seen that the alteration of this guide microbiome by antibiotics is it's very important because it could increase the incidence of the disease. So in predisposed humans, uh, it is very interesting to know who have this predisposition and who don't. And the use of antibiotics should be used with cautions in these uh, carriers because maybe in humans also increase the incidence of the disease. And I really think that uh, with future studies, um, maybe we can modulate the microbiome trying to prevent leukemia development. If we can make a more not predisposed gut microbiome, we can uh, have a no pre-leukemia gut microbiome profile, maybe we can uh, prevent leukemia development by the modulation of the gut microbiome. That can be done by diet and, you know, it could be easily done. Secondly, Talha Badar of the Medical College of Wisconsin discusses a multi-cohort analysis which aimed to evaluate the efficacy of blinitumumab versus inotizumab osgomycin for B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia. What we are going to present at our EHA 25th uh, Virtual Congress is the uh, sequencing of novel agents in relapsed refractory uh, ALL. Uh, as you're aware, recently, over the last few years, approved medications like planetumumab and inotizumab ozogomycin has really changed the landscape of uh, relapsed refractory ALL treatment with significantly better outcome compared to conventional chemotherapy. So, and the indications are same. Uh, both drugs are used for relapsed refractory ALL patients. So given the effectiveness of these agents, there's always, this might be challenge to uh, physician, clinicians, which agent should be, we choose first in terms of effectiveness and toxicity. So we did this uh, multi-cohort analysis uh, involving 11 academic uh, centers across USA, in which we try to evaluate the sequencing of novel agent. Does any one of these two agents is better than the other? So we had a reasonably uh, uh, well uh, sample size of 276 patients in which we 
try to evaluate, compare the effectiveness uh, in terms of response rate, uh, in terms of safety profile, and uh, uh, sustain sustainment of response and uh, survival outcome. Uh, so uh, what we found out when uh, these agents like Bilna and Intrizumab, uh, if chosen as the first novel agent after progressing of induction chemotherapy, which is mainly a conventional chemotherapy, the outcomes were comparable. Like both the agents were able to give a remission rate around 67%. Uh, and uh, the incidence of drug treatment discontinuation due to adverse events were also comparable, like around 4% uh, with the Blina and 7% with Inetuzumab. Interestingly, these uh, discontinuation rates are relatively better than what is published in the pivotal trials. If you talk about the Tower trial or Innovate trial for Inetuzumab, in which the treatment discontinuation rate due to adverse events was around 11%. So our hypothesis is that the less discontinuation rate probably because more awareness among treating physicians as well as uh, the preemptive strategies, how to overcome these toxicity and how to improve uh, uh, the tolerability of these agents. Uh, so in, the off, in terms of uh, toxicity and response rate, this duration response is also comparable at the first novel agent. Uh, so. Uh, when these agents were used as a second, uh, like there's a proportion of patients, around 60% of patients, 60 patients who receive both novel agents after progressing on conventional chemotherapy, uh, 40 patients of those receive Eno as a second novel agent and 21 patients receive Blina as a second novel agent. Even as a second novel agent, after progressing on first novel agent, either Blina or Eno, the response rate were uh, strikingly better than conventional chemotherapy in the range of 50%. So as we all know, uh, with successive progression in relapsed refractory ALL, the response rate diminishes with time, ranging from 40% to 20%. But with these novel, novel agents, the second uh, novel agent therapy, uh, the patient were able, 50% of patients were able to achieve a response rate after failing a first novel agent. So that is really... Uh, uh, interesting observation we had. Uh, based on this, and the duration response was also after progressing on first novel agent was in the range of 10 months uh, with Blina and now uh, 5.9 months with Eno, though it, it wasn't statistically significant due to small sample size and uh, earlier approval of Blina and most patients receiving Blina as a first novel agent, but it's still a comparable outcome. So in conclusion, I would say that uh, both these novel agents can be used as a first or second based on tolerability and based on patient individual profile uh, with significantly improved outcome compared to conventional chemotherapy. Uh, so that was the concluding statement uh, of our uh, study. Finally, Christina Peters of St. Anna's Children's Hospital discusses the results of the multi-center forum study investigating total body irradiation versus atopicide-based conditioning in children and adolescents with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The treatment of acute lymphoblastic leukemia in children is a success story since decades because uh, from a more or less deadly disease, it uh, turned to a curable disease in 90% of all patients who are affected in childhood with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. However, um, 
In some situations, contemporary chemotherapy protocols are not enough to uh, get these patients cured. And so they need, for, a, uh, for instance, other immunological measures to treat this uh, highly aggressive leukemia. And that could be allogenic stem cell transplantation, if, especially if a child or a young adult identifies a suitable donor. In most of the cases, this is a sibling or an unrelated donor. And um, if such a donor is identified, we could um, provide uh, sufficient uh, treatment options for those high-risk leukemia patients. Total body irradiation is highly effective uh, in treating children and adolescents with uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. However, the late effects and uh, especially the incidence of secondary leukemia is a big rucksack which uh, we have to um, offer those patients who might be cured with total body irradiation. And so our uh, international study group asked the question whether uh, we can get rid of total body irradiation and elaborated uh, a study which is called Forum for Omitting Radiation Under Maturity Age where uh, patients were randomized to either receive a combination of total body irradiation and a toposide or a contem contemporary conditioning regimen consisting of fludarabine, thiotepa, and busulfan or triosulfan. And it turned out that we still need total body irradiation because the incidence of free occurrence of leukemia is lower after TBI compared to any kind of those two chemo conditioning regimen. We have performed the largest uh, international randomized trial ever performed uh, with this question and we randomized more than 400 patients and all results um, are highly significant in favor of TBI. So we nowadays recommend uh, a combination of TBI etoposide for children above four years of age because uh, treatment-related mortality is uh, comparable, but relapse incidence is significantly lower. What we should do in future with those patients who underwent total body irradiation in young age, uh, we have to follow up them very carefully and investigate whether the late effects are acceptable or if we have to accept a higher relapse rate in those cases who might not undergo total body irradiation. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with us today. Visit vjhemonk.com for the latest updates from the experts themselves, as well as our exclusive eHAR 2020 coverage. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts, which are available on both Spotify and Apple podcasts.